and welcome. My name is Robin Marriott of Property EU, and I'm delighted to be hosting this second edition of the Urban Land Institute's Vanguard podcast series following last year's successful launch. As many of you will know, the ULI brings together real estate and land use experts from around the world with a clear mission to shape the world via the built environment and have transformative impacts in neighbourhoods, cities and communities. And this podcast series will focus on that future and that transformative impact. The ULI Young Leaders Group recently selected 10 outstanding young professionals already making waves in the industry, calling them the new real estate vanguard. And today I'm delighted to welcome one of them, Catherine Beesler, who's head of ESG consulting at Advisor Hollis. So Catherine, welcome. Hi Robin, good to see you. So thanks for taking part. I think um, as ever, let's talk a little bit about how you got into real estate. People may be able to detect an American accent as you speak, and in <laughs> fact, you're operating in, in the Netherlands. But first of all, how did you get involved? That is right, and uh, no, very good picking up on that. Um, well, first of all, I think you mentioned you were, you were speaking to outstanding people in real estate. So thank you for, for that uh, uh, name. That's really kind of, of you guys and ULI for inviting me. So thank you for doing that. Um, yeah, how did I get into real estate? Good question. I guess um, for a long time, very early on, I knew uh, I had an interest in the built environment and I wanted to be an architect. Um, and also very early on, I kind of had an interest in sustainability, um, environmental science, and I was always looking, how could I bring those things together? Um, and I guess I first knew that I had an interest in architecture and the built environment when I was uh, a young kid. And I used to really enjoy going to open houses with my family. So I'd always beg them if I saw a sign um, for an open house on the weekend. Oh, can we go? Can we go? Can we spend Sunday going from open house to open house? And I loved it. I just loved seeing kind of all the different houses and uh, imagining what I could do to change them or alter them or what would I do if I was designing them. Um, and yeah, so that was kind of the background is, is I always knew I wanted to be sort of in architecture in the built environment. Um, and uh, yeah, I went to school for architecture. As I mentioned, I, I um, knew I wanted to be in, in sustainable architecture. And the year that I was applying to universities, um, there's a competition in the US called the Solar Decathlon, which is now actually also in Europe and Asia and schools from all over the world participate. Um, and the year that I was applying to universities, the University of Maryland came in second in the Solar Decathlon, which is a competition to design a sustainable house, um, only to Germany. So they're the best in the US. So I chose to go to the University of Maryland for the Solar Decathlon for uh, university. And luckily when I was there, they competed again in the Solar Decathlon. And this year I joined the competition and we won. So <laughs> we came in first, which was great. Um, yeah, and uh, kind of just continued on from there. You somehow wound up in the Netherlands, but uh, perhaps you could explain how that all came about. That is a long story, but to make a long story <laughs> short, um, indeed, yes, so I graduated from the University of Maryland and um, went on to be an architect in, in Washington, D.C., which the University of Maryland is just outside of Washington, D.C. Um, and again, was always focused on sustainable architecture, but I did a lot of international projects, so mostly um, in Asia, Africa, um, uh, in the Middle East, and always, again, focusing kind of international sustainable architecture. Um, and after doing that for a few years, I said, you know, this is great and working life is, is fun, but it's something I can always come back to. So I decided to take a gap year, um, sort of a sabbatical and um, do something completely different, 
So my aunt is Thai. She suggested, well, why don't you go and teach English with my sisters in Thailand? So I looked into it and I thought, okay, this is a, this is a great idea. Um, so I did that for a year, absolutely loved it. Would definitely recommend it to anyone who's kind of looking for a good sabbatical or, or sort of gap year. Um, where I met my now Dutch husband. And of course we had to decide, are we gonna to move to the US or move to the Netherlands? And we chose to move to the Netherlands. And uh, from there, I started working in uh, corporate real estate with Cushman and Wakefield, um, really focusing on investors and high level strategy decisions on the sustainability strategy and innovation team. And that was great because this was a whole other side of things. If architecture is you know, on one end of the spectrum, really doing projects and kind of getting getting things done on the ground, uh, working with investors in these sort of high level strategy decisions is completely the other side of the scope. Um, and uh, it's also good because I really wanted to kind of move up the decision-making ladder. I think I noticed as an architect wanting to get involved in sustainability and making sustainable projects um, you don't get to make a lot of decisions as, as the designer, you know, you're always doing what your, what your client is asking. Um, and, uh, yeah, sort of working more with investors, you've got to kind of drive the, the decision-making process a bit more, but again, I sort of really missed projects getting into kind of, uh, getting things done, implementing things, seeing, seeing projects come to fruition. And, and I joined, uh, Hollis. And at Hollis, that's exactly where I sit. So kind of in the middle of the projects team and the designers who are making the changes on the ground and uh, kind of designing the projects from scratch and the investors. So a lot of our clients are, are investors who are looking for um, kind of a steer on how they can make sustainable investments. And uh, that's something that I get to advise them on every day. But I can't let, um, let the early part of your story go without just digging in a little bit because okay so you you're over in thailand you meet your future husband you decide to move to the netherlands but without a job am i correct so that's right and there's a lot of people that do that of course but it's not easy uh so i'm just wondering how did you actually go about landing something in the realm that you wish to work in yeah that's a good question so um definitely uh moving to a new country losing my network, you know, kind of losing everything I'd built up previously was uh, something I was really nervous about and kind of what I was most nervous about actually um, moving. Um, and then also kind of selling this this year abroad that I had, you know, it's uh, you're taking a step away from using kind of your hard technical skills for a year. So I was a bit worried, well, how would that gap year be sort of perceived by, by the market or by future employers? But I think what's really important for that and probably for you and anyone else who, who does something like that is it's all about, you know, it's a lot of soft skills that I learned as well. So exactly like you mentioned, how to interact with different cultures, how to, you know, un, uh, undertake new situations, feel comfortable in uh, new surroundings, all those sorts of soft skills that um, you pick up in an experience like that really do carry over into, you know, future technical work. But uh, it's good just to kind of highlight and understand how maybe you've grown or, or uh, how we're impacted from that experience. So when I moved to the Netherlands, exactly, I had no no network, didn't know anyone in real estate, didn't know anyone in architecture, but was very keen to kind of pick up my career where I left off. And luckily I had some friends um, in, in the real estate industry who suggested, hey, you're moving, you're moving here and the next week is Pravada. Pravada is the biggest real estate um, conference in the Netherlands, all of the big uh, companies come together and uh, I thought I would be walking around in a hall. Maybe everyone would have a table and be standing behind their table, and I could introduce myself there. 
but it's much bigger than that. It, it takes up a whole three halls of the conference center in Amsterdam. Everyone has um, sort of a whole room or a giant kind of booth developed for, for their company. Um, and I basically just walked around for three days and introduced myself and told everyone sort of a bit about my background and that I just moved here and that I was looking for a job. Um, and this is really scary for someone who just <laughs> just moved to this country. You know, I didn't speak the language yet. I didn't know anyone. So um, it was a bit nerve wracking, but it was very fruitful. I came out with a few offers, which was great um, and was able to find uh, a great position with Cushman and Wakefield, really jumping into exactly my area of interest. So sustainability and strategy and innovation, as I mentioned uh, with their team there. Um, yeah. That was that was kind of how I got started. But you, Catherine, you make it sound so easy. I, I've been to Provider. I know what that event is like. Uh, it is quite intimidating uh, when it comes to the companies and their gigantic sort of uh, showcase zones. Now, it takes some courage to just go up to strangers, introduce yourself. Was it like that or was there a little bit of pre-planning involved that listeners can um, sort of learn from? Yeah, I guess the pre-planning I did was I sort of researched which companies were going to be there, which companies should I definitely reach out to. You know, some of them were known names to me as I've known them from their global players. Um, but I also tried to do some research on, you know, who had strong names in the Dutch market, who were people I definitely wanted to reach out to. Um, but then, and so I sent some emails ahead of time. So is there anyone I should meet with while I'm there, which I had some feedback on and some success with, which was good. But no, a lot of it was very much just uh, just walking around and introducing myself to people, which, like you said, was um, yeah, it was a bit of a, a challenge at the time. Um, but I think it's you know it's the best thing that you can do, and it's what you have to do when you're in a situation like that. Um, and to anyone who kind of comes, uh, and any internationals or expats who move to the Netherlands now, and reach out to me with similar questions, how can I find a job, or do you have any suggestions for finding a job in the Netherlands? I always say the same thing and just to put yourself out there and um, to reach out. So even if there's not a position open at a company, just reach out um, because you never know what kind of openings or, or vacancies that they might have that they don't have advertised. And uh, there's no other way you're going to gather the information. So might as well just uh, get in touch and see what comes out of it. So you walked away from Provider with a job offer from a blue chip company, Cushman and Wakefield. You spent some time there and then you take a decision, as I understand it, to join for a brief period of time this the student hotel company. What what was that move about and how did that how did that happen? Yeah. Um so I guess also when I when I moved to the Netherlands, I started doing my masters at TU Delft in management in the built environment, um, which is something I always knew I wanted to do. I wanted to do my master's, but not specifically in architecture. I wanted to learn something a little bit different. And like I said, kind of move up the decision-making uh, ladder. Um, and so while I was at Delft, I was writing my master's thesis on circularity in uh, hotels. So specifically um, hotels in the built environment. Um, and the student hotel was doing the same thing actually. So they were developing a project in Delft that they had goals for to be a, a circular project. Um, and so I was looking for a company to write that thesis with, and they were actually a perfect fit, um, you know, researching the exact same thing at the exact same time. Also uh, nearby, so where my university was, is where they were developing their new hotel. So this worked out very well. Um, and so I spent some time with them kind of researching what goes into a circular hotel, what are the considerations that should be had. And circularity is, is a specific form of sustainability, but it was 
just kind of the way that I research sustainability in the built environment for this project. And what we learned from that is, of course, there's a lot of things that we should consider for energy. There's a lot of things that we should consider for water. There's a lot of things we should consider for materials. But what was really most important to, to the business, to the student hotel, was kind of the, the image that it sold or the um, way that the effect that it had on their brand. So while yes, of course, it was a bit more of an investment on the energy side of things, and it was a bit more work on the saving water and considering the materials, what was most important for them was really their brand image and, and kind of how this uh, coupled with that. Um, and we realized that that really had a much bigger impact and return than any of the kind of really technical um, inputs that we could have had into the project. Um, and they make changes or investments for, for much kind of lighter decisions or much uh, easier decisions than this. So it was some, that was kind of the, the biggest takeaway from the project was really uh, uh, the effect that it would have on sort of the brand image. Yes, all about brand, of course, so important. So after learning uh, about the hotel industry and how it all fits together, you then uh, end up with Hollis. And perhaps you could tell us, first of all, what your role was there, because I understand that just earlier this year, you've, you, you've received a promotion. Congratulations on that. Head of ESG Consulting now. So what, 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 how has your role changed in, in, in the time that you've spent there? Thank you. Yeah, there's been a lot of change in the last... Uh... I've been at Hollis for now two and a half years, so I think probably for many people going through through COVID and Corona. But um, I started out at Hollis as a project manager, so a member of the project management team based in Amsterdam. Again, always wanted to do sustainable projects, kind of working a bit with the, um, then it was called the Energy, Environment, and Sustainability team at Hollis as well. Um, and if, of course, my interest in that kind of grew, or you know, I really wanted to focus a bit more, more time in that. Um, about two years ago, uh, the position for the head of the, the then E Environmental Energy and Sustainability team became available. Um, and I actually was working to try and find a, a replacement for that position. So uh, doing interviews together with, with one of the directors to try and uh, find a replacement for that position. And after about six months of searching and doing interviews and selecting and not having it work out for whatever reason, um, I was speaking to, to my boss, then Roland, in, in the head of the Amsterdam office. And he said, well, why don't you go for it? I thought, well, you know, I'm a bit busy right now. I've got a lot of projects going on. And, you know, uh, it'd be great to just kind of build the team a bit. But in the end, I kind of decided, well, I've got to choose one. I can't spend time on both. You know, if I'm going to keep working on projects, I won't get to focus my time on the, the sustainability team that much. So I put together a, a pitch pack and a presentation about kind of how I thought that we could uh, develop this the service and uh, rebrand it to the ESG consulting service. Presented that to our um, board of directors who luckily agreed with my plan and uh, found the presentation quite clear and a clear description of what is ESG in real estate, what can it mean for our business and how can we take it forward. Um, and I think the biggest kind of thing that I identified there was that we already had a lot of opportunity laying on the table that we weren't kind of picking up and a lot of skills in-house that we weren't fully utilizing to answer these questions um, for our clients. And so, yeah, so luckily that was accepted and approved. And I started a new role about a year and a half ago as the head of the ESG consulting team and built the team over the year from two to now over 20 people that we have throughout the UK and Europe, which we're very proud about. Um, and 
yeah, it's just grown grown since then, and uh, we expect it to grow a lot more in the future as well. Um, so ESG, to my mind, it's still kind of a bit of a nebulous area in a way. Um, when you when you are thinking of ESG and when your clients are talking about it, are they mainly focusing on the environment side, or is it the S, the social? I, I imagine it's much less on the G, the governance. So, what actually are people talking about? Yeah, so I think um, traditionally people were definitely most focused on the E, and I think that's kind of the most tangible part. So people are, are definitely up to speed with, um, in the UK, you have to have a certain EPC, um, understanding what their energy use is, understanding what their carbon emissions are, understanding what the water use is, what materials go into their buildings, what their biodiversity plans are, can they improve their biodiversity on site, things like that. I think people... Uh, have a strong understanding of now, and, and they really are kind of sort of tangible aspects that you can see a firm output for. I think definitely what we've seen in the last year and with COVID as well is a lot more focus on sort of the S and the, the social factors. Um, and it's interesting because that can be harder to measure, but there are some good tools in the UK. There's the National TOMS, um, which comes from the social uh, profit calculator to really measure kind of what the social return on investment is for a project or for a company. Um, but we get more and more questions from clients who are interested to understand how can they increase their social impact on a project or on their, on their company. Um, and yeah, what, what can they exactly do and what can they measure and what should they be doing to kind of be the best in the market? So that's been really interesting to see and also shows a development of the market. So, um, I don't know, let's say five, 10 years ago, if people were focused on getting a BREEAM certificate was uh, cutting edge. Now we see the clients get a BREEAM certificate and they also want to look at health and well-being. So they're also considering maybe a FitWell certification or you know something to kind of push the boundary a bit further and to differentiate themselves in the market. And then G, we get, we get questions on as well. And I think that's something that's even more abstract for people. It's um, kind of how are they managing their risks? How are they making sure that there's uh, good business ethics and uh, components like that into their, their buildings and their projects? Do they have a reliable and a strong and a, a vetted supply chain? You know, all of those things are a bit more difficult to manage and to, to measure. Um, but certainly I think, you know, companies are trying to, to incorporate all of that into their projects, into their business. And, um, yeah, we increasingly get questions about kind of what should I be considering in terms of the, the S and the G aspects as well. Yes, very well explained, Catherine. Um, and, and just on the micro level, when it comes to the development, where the where is the industry going when it comes to ESG? I think I've heard you mentioning it down to the levels of lifts. What what can be done to improve the sustainability of lifts within buildings, for example? Can you just tell us a little bit about more more about that, but also where the industry is headed in general? Yeah, and I think it's great, you know, the um, sort of attention that's been paid to ESG in the last year or so. I think it used to be something that was kind of a nice to have or maybe just a bonus. Um, and now it's really become kind of the, the leading driver for a lot of projects or a lot of our clients. Maybe they won't buy a project if it doesn't have the right ESG credentials, or they're really going to consider what investment is needed to bring it up to, up to speed and to meet their requirements, which is fantastic um, to see. And I think for me, what's been really interesting as well is to kind of see the way that other aspects um, of our business get involved. So 
like I mentioned before, we have uh, kind of one team is one of our mottos. And so it's not just the ESG team working alone, but we really work very closely with the project management team, with the technical due diligence team, with our mechanical and electrical engineers um, and everyone else to, to incorporate ESG into their services, into their projects with their clients, um, into their products. And I think what's been really great to see is it's not, you know, again, not just us and not maybe even just these sort of main uh, services that, you know, might seem obvious, like that they would be working together, um, but really how, how everyone has done it. So we've seen how tenant alterations, when they're looking at the, the proposal that a tenant might bring to a landlord to make changes to a building, um, they'll start to ask questions like, well, what effect will that have on the EPC? And have you considered using recyclable materials? And how will you dispose of the waste when you're when you're doing this project? And so really, I think you know every aspect of the, the real, estate, real estate industry and the built environment can can do something to sort of support the ESG story of a, of a building or a project. And that's been really, really great to see. And as you said, just demand is just really off the scale now for all, all advisory services to do with ESG. Just just for we want to help the younger members of the ULI and others in uh, thinking of coming into the industry. Is there any one particular route that people should follow if they have a particular interest in that area? You, should they be going to one particular university, following one kind of course, or is there sort of another way of doing it? I think I probably get this question maybe three times a week from people who say, can you, what can you send me to learn about ESG? I want to be an ESG expert. Um, but I think the biggest thing I can say is just first to follow your passion. So um, when I went to university, you know, I had this passion for sustainability in the built environment. And that wasn't really a specific thing at the time. But I just, you know, like I said, I tried to find a university that was doing something in that area. I tried to take courses that were focused on you know, sustainability in the built environment. Um, and now there's many of those, actually. It's, it's great. There's plenty, plenty of programs that offer pathways like that, which is great. Um, but for people who are maybe out of university, um, there's some really concrete things that you can do. So I have my LEED certification. You can do your BREAM certification. You can do your WELL or your FITWELL certification, which even if you don't want to become an assessor, those are all kind of good basis areas for, for learning and kind of what goes into a sustainable or maybe a healthy building, which is all really, really helpful. But I think the best thing you can do is really just read up on it. You know, there's so many articles these days um, on LinkedIn based on who you follow, if you're following people who, who speak about sustainability or ESG in the built environment, um, which businesses you follow, which organizations you follow. Uh, everyone's talking about it now. So there's plenty of articles out there to read. There's lots of good guidance on the RICS website or on the UK Green Building website or the World Green Building uh, Council's website. And on the subject of staying current, uh, who do you actually learn from, Catherine, nowadays? Do you, uh, thinking widely, do you listen to podcasts or are there any books that you can recommend to, to, to help people along the way that you find useful? I'm an avid uh, listener, really. I, I use audiobooks of um, memoirs just to see kind of how other people have, uh, have succeeded or run their business or, or developed their business and specifically kind of, yeah, from business people. So I'm reading right now um, Shoe Dog from Phil Knight, who uh, started Nike. Um, and there's a podcast I listen to that I could really recommend, How I Built This, uh, with Guy Raz. And Guy Raz interviews a different person for each podcast about how they built their their company. And uh, he always ask, asks a question of, the, of everyone at the end about, um, was it luck or was it skill that got you to where you were? And so it's always, uh, yeah, interesting to hear their answers. 
So, Catherine, um, greenwashing has become somewhat of a topical and controversial subject, hasn't it, just in the last few weeks, actually. Uh, what is Hollis doing to tackle this, kind, this area? Yeah, it's really important that, uh, you know, as um, we are, remain as independent objective advisors, and we really only speak on or comment on what we see and what we what we can evaluate. Um, I think, especially as sort of ESG BIC certified professionals, um, we're really kind of sort of touchy to the subject. We don't want to say anything that isn't true. We don't we don't want to make any assumptions unless we have clear evidence of it. Increasingly, companies are being called out for that, and uh, that's really big importance or aspect of of governance as well. And good governance is is not making claims that aren't um, aren't accurate and uh, not being unethical about um, kind of our yeah, sustainability claims. And that's uh, something that we're definitely very, very cautious of. So Catherine, if you could just give one piece of advice to listeners in terms of entering the industry and being successful, what would it be? I would say to do what you are, follow what you are passionate about. So for me, of course, I mentioned it was that I was passionate about a sustainable built environment. Um, where when I was in university and when I was getting started, that was not a, a very hip or popular uh, thing to do, but um, very luckily it's kind of become come to the forefront of the industry. And so whatever you're interested in, um, follow that because that will keep you motivated and inspired and, and uh, enjoying your work, whatever that might be. And uh, even if it's sort of a niche topic, uh, probably there is a demand for it and you, you'll become a specialist in your in your field. So follow that, follow what you're passionate about. Catherine Beisler, thank you so much. Thanks, Robin.